Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, good morning, Bayshore. Good to see you. We're so glad you're here this morning, and uh, we want to welcome our Fenwick Island campus. We had our first public launch Last Sunday, we had close to 200 people, so let's welcome our our Fenwick Island campus this morning. So glad you guys are here with us today, and we're all together here, one church, uh, in three locations, actually. So we're here, and we're doing a series called uh, How to Have Your Best Year Yet, 2020, How to Have Your Best Year Yet. So we've been talking about the principles of how we can have our very best year yet. For me, this is going to be my best year yet. I'm excited about this year. I'm excited about the ministry, excited about the church. I'm excited about my personal life, how I'm going to be living for Jesus this year. So we've been talking about what are the principles of how we can have our best year yet. So the first week we talked about the importance of not letting circumstances dictate your attitude. And Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice always in the Lord. So this idea of this Lord having a positive attitude, we discovered in that message that when you have a a rejoicing positive attitude, it actually changes how you feel inside. And so we talked about that. Last week we talked about the importance of keeping Jesus first. It's impossible to have your best year yet if anything else is first except for the Lord. And if you missed any of these messages, you can go to our website and catch up on these uh, messages. Uh, Today we want to talk about the third principle of how we can have our best year yet. And this is one of a very important message, I think particularly for this year. So how can we have our best year yet? So today we want to talk about the importance of being kind and nice to other people. Kind and nice to other people. So in order for us to have our best year yet, we have to have a attitude by which we are kind and nice to other people. And here's the principle. The principle is this. The principle is the quality of my relationships determine the quality of my life. The quality of my relationships determine the quality of my life. If I have bad relationships, if my relationships are negative, I will have a negative life. But if I have discovered and can discover how to have positive relationships, positive relationships equal a positive life. So one of the things we want to talk about is the importance of how we can be proactive in being kind and nice to other people. Very, very important principle. Uh, Here's what uh, Teddy Roosevelt said. Teddy Roosevelt said, the most important single ingredient in the formula of success is knowing how to get along with people. Knowing how to get along with people. If we cannot get along with people, we are not going to be successful in life. You've got to be uh, have the skill set. You've got to develop the skills, relational intelligence of how you can get along with other people. J.D. Rockefeller said of this. He said the ability to deal with people is as a perchable commodity as sugar and coffee, and I will pay more for that ability than for any other under the sun. So J.D. Rockefeller said, when I'm hiring people to work for me in his vast company back when he was, you know, on this planet, he said, the most important thing I look for is for people that know how to get along with other people. 
So that's important. So the principle we want to talk about today is how to get along with other people. And here's what I've discovered. If we uh, are kind and nice to other people, the quality of our life is going to go up and we're going to be successful. This year, if you uh, kind of clothe yourself with kindness and you go into this year being kind to other people, being nice to other people, investing other people, loving other people, then it's going to elevate the quality of your life. If you sort of have a chip on your shoulder and you're kind of bitter and you're angry and you're mad at the world and you go into this year kind of like uh, with this kind of agenda to get even with people and all that, it's going to lower the quality of your life. Now, here's what it says in Proverbs eleven seventeen. This is our key verse this morning we're going to be looking at. Proverbs eleven seventeen says this, those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. Those that are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. So when I'm kind to other people, I benefit. It's good for me. Uh, It makes my life better. If we were to turn that around backwards and make it negative, if I'm not kind to other people, it's detrimental to me. It's detrimental to me. So when you get mad at somebody or you get angry and you uh, give somebody a hard time and, and you, you know, got a vendetta, whatever, and you let that stuff come out and you kind of you go at people and all that, you're gonna, you're, it's going to be a detriment to your life. It's going to be a detriment to your life. But Proverbs says when I'm kind to other people, it helps me, to, it benefits me. So when I'm casting good seed on the ground and I'm blessing people and I'm kind and I have a nice attitude toward people and when I see somebody steal my parking spot and I have a nice attitude and when I'm nice to people in my family and I'm nice to people that I work with and I'm nice to people in my neighborhood, when I am nice, it benefits me. So kindness is for my benefit. Now, I wonder why is that? Why is when you're kind to other people, you benefit yourself? Why is that? I think there's a couple reasons. I think one thing is that when you are kind to other people, you gain favor from people. People respond favorably to you when you're kind to them. And so you you create a world that has positive vibes toward you. Now, it's impossible for us to have everybody have a positive vibe toward us. But when you are just sowing goodness and you're being kind, and you're being loving, you create a whole system of people around you that have positive vibes toward you. And that's an important thing. I think the other thing that benefits us is if if you're unkind to somebody, if you're like me, if I'm unkind to somebody, it kind of makes me feel, you know, I kind of have regret and remorse, and so I'm using energy up, mental energy, regretting that unkind remark that I made towards somebody, and so it kind of, it's kind of, it kind of logs my mind or puts my mind in a, in a funk, and so I can't think well. So I want my mind to be free, and if I am giving goodness to people and I'm loving people, I travel light and I'm happy and I'm joyful. So say this with me, uh, Proverbs eleven seventeen. Let's read it out loud together. Those who are kind benefit themselves. One more time. Those that are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. So if I'm mean, it's going to bring ruin on me. If I'm kind, it's going to bless me. So how can I have my best year yet? My best year yet will occur when I'm kind to other people. Now, what does kindness look like? What does kindness look like? Now, um, kindness, basically, it's very easy to figure out what kindness looks like. 
When you're dealing with somebody, put a mask of yourself on them and imagine you're treating yourself. So how is the golden rule? Uh, Treat others as you would want them to treat you. Speak to others in the tone of voice you would want them to speak to you. Respond to other people the way you would want them to speak to you. So how do I know what kindness looks like? I just simply paint my face on the face of the person that I'm, uh, that I'm dealing with, that I'm uh, responding to and having a relationship with. I paint my face on them and I treat them the way I would want to be treated. I would want to receive mercy. I would want to receive understanding. I would want to be given the benefit of the doubt. I would want to be given positive things. I would want mercy to be extended to me. So if that's how I would want to be treated, that's how I'm going to treat that person that I'm dealing with. Now, there's this famous uh, rabbi uh, in Israel. It was actually, he was a rabbi in Jesus' day, and uh, his name was Rabbi Hillel. And Robert, Rabbi Hillel was, uh, he was the most famous rabbi. There was two famous rabbis in Jesus' day. One was by the name of Shema, and the other name was Rabbi Hillel. And they were contemporaries with Jesus. And Rabbi Hillel was asked one time uh, to summarize, can you summarize the Torah can you summarize the five books of, the, of Moses, the, the Hebrew scriptures? Can you summarize it while someone stands on one foot? Can you summarize it that quickly? And that was the question. And here's what Rabbi Hillel says. What is bad to you, do not do to others. Go and learn likewise. And that was the summary of the law. There's a picture. I think I have a uh, actual, there's actually, uh, maybe I don't know if I have it or not. What is bad to you, don't do t- to someone else now go and learn now there's a statue in jerusalem we go to jerusalem there's a statue of rabbi hillel and it shows him talking to a young man with his foot up what is bad to you do not do to others so that's a if you want to have your best year yet here there's a picture there and uh he's teaching them and basically he says that the golden rule treating others the way you would like to be treated is the is the pathway to a good life it's a pathway to a good life So say this with me, Uh, when I'm kind to others, I benefit myself. One more time, when I'm kind to others, I benefit myself. So three, three people this year you need to be kind to. Three people this year you need to be kind to. Number one, you need to be kind to yourself. You need to be kind to yourself. Here's, Here's a principle. The principle is this. If I am not kind to myself, I cannot be kind to others. If I don't love myself, I can't love other people. See, sometimes people have uh, uh, anger and frustration toward themselves, and then it comes out on other people. So you cannot really be kind to others until you know how to be kind to yourself and loving yourself, and and accepting yourself. Jesus said, you know, and he reiterated what was in the book of Leviticus. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, if you read the gospel of John, the gospel of John is the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written by John uh, the Beloved. was probably the latest gospel written. Uh, and what's unique about that book, that book is like 80% different new, new material than what's in Matthew, Mark, Luke. And it's, it's very, very, uh, I think, very theological gospel, not, a, not the easiest gospel to understand. But what's really interesting about that, it's written by John, John the Apostle. Uh, scholars, liberal and conservative, are pretty convinced of that. So written by John the Apostle, and here's what he refers to himself. 
I think it's five times in the book, he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. And he's writing the book, and he's writing about himself, and he says, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Now, when you think about that, John was absolutely convinced of the fact that he was loved by Jesus. And a lot of people, you know, they wonder if God loves them, if God really cares about them. They've got a question their mark. They know things they've done, and they know things they've said, and they know the kind of person they are. And so they have a question in their mind if they are really lovable, if they're really lovable. And here's what uh, John teaches us. John teaches us that he was cognitive and completely convinced that he was loved by God and so he's able to love himself. If God loves you and he is passionate about you, if God loves you, who are you not to love yourself? Who are you not to love yourself? If God loves you, his estimation of you is he looks at you and you're worthy of love and he cares about you and he's passionate about you and then yet you turn around and you don't love yourself and you don't care about yourself the way you're supposed to. So Jesus said, love your neighbor. How are you supposed to love your neighbor? You're supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So here's how you're supposed to treat your neighbor. You're supposed to be merciful to your neighbor. You're supposed to be patient with your neighbor. You're supposed to be kind to your neighbor. You're supposed to love your neighbor. And if you're supposed to treat your neighbor that way, that means you're supposed to be kind to yourself. You're supposed to love yourself. You're supposed to forgive yourself. You're supposed to accept yourself. And you're supposed to cherish yourself. Now, if I ask you today on a scale of 1 to 10, scale 1 meaning you loathe yourself and you hate yourself, and scale 10 means that you love yourself and accept yourself. Where are you on that scale? Do you love yourself? Do you care about yourself? And so you want to make sure that you love yourself because God loves you. So say this with me. If God loves me, who am I not to love myself? What happens on the inside will show up on the outside. If I cannot love myself, I cannot love other people. So you gotta, you got to fix that problem. You show me a person that's mean and angry and coming at people all the time, I'll show you a person that's mean and angry toward themselves. A person that's mean and angry toward themselves. Because until I fix this part, I can't be kind on the outside. I have to love other people. If I'm critical of myself, I'll be critical of other people. If I'm impatient with myself, I'll be impatient with other people. If I'm uh, uh, non-merciful to myself, judgmental myself, I'll be judgmental to other people. But once I'm able to internalize God's love for me and care for me, then I can love other people. So you got to love yourself. you got to accept yourself. you got to give yourself compliments every once in a while. And when's the last time you gave yourself a high five? You know, you go in there and you got your kids or, you know, they're fighting in the bedroom and, and, you know, you go in there and the wisdom of Solomon comes on you and you're able to just, you know, work all through that and you need to walk out of that room and say, you know what, I did really good and give yourself a high five. Every once in a while, I'll preach a good sermon and I'll go home and I'll say, you did a good job. You did a good job. You know, and uh, sometimes when I counsel did some counseling you know nobody sees that and you got two people about to kill each other and you know you're you're negotiating terrorism in a marriage there you're trying to get through all that and you know the lord just helps you and you and nobody sees that i just say i did good the lord lord you helped me and i did good give yourself a high five like the little boy that you know he was uh really trying to be positive and he was uh 
pitching the baseball up and swinging at it. He said, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. He'd swing it up and miss the ball, and he'd throw it up again and miss the ball. He said, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. He'd swing, throw the ball up and try to swing at it. And finally he said, he pitched it up and said, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. And then swing it there, you know. <laughs> so you got to compliment yourself. you got to love yourself. you got to love who you are. And sometimes we don't love ourselves because maybe our parents, maybe our upbringing sent us the wrong message that we were not worthy of love. And so we go through life not loving ourselves, not accepting ourselves, not, not affirming ourselves. And so because we're messed up on the inside, we can't help people on the outside. So I have to love myself. I have to accept myself. I have to accept that God made me the way I did. God gave me this perfect hairline. Isn't that amazing? God blessed me in so many ways. And so I just thank you, Lord, that you love me. So when's the last time you just raised your hands in your devotion and said, Lord, I thank you that you love me. You're not angry at me. You're not mad at me. You love me and you accept me. So it's important for us to know that we're loved by God. If I can't love myself, If I can't love myself, I cannot love others. It's true of everybody here at this Millsburg campus this morning. It's true of everybody here at the Fenwick Island campus today. If you cannot love yourself, you cannot love other people. Let's say it both campuses today right now. Say it. If I cannot love myself, I cannot love others. Sometimes, uh, you know, we we mess up and uh, we sin and we stumble, make a mistake or whatever and uh, and sometimes people have trouble forgiving themselves. Some people have trouble forgiving themselves. I can just tell you that everybody in this church, Millsboro, and, and Fenwick Island have sinned sometime during this week. I just want you to know that. If you, if you didn't sin, you are part of the Trinity, and, 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 or you're delusional, and the second is really what's true. You're delusional. <laughs> How many have, have missed the mark? Uh, the word sin means harmatia. Is in the Greek, it means to miss the mark. How many have missed the mark sometime in your life and you've sinned? And sometimes, sometimes we don't love ourselves because we, we we're struggling and we're just still growing in our faith and we're stumbling and we're not quite there yet. And so we're struggling with that and we don't forgive ourselves. And we, we must forgive ourselves. And if God forgives us and God says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, who are you not to forgive yourself? It's pride. It's pride. Uh, I had a guy, a community leader, came to me one time, and he had, he had really messed up, and really sinned, and he was beating himself up, and he was completely, you know, distraught and felt like he was such a loser, and, uh, and I, I met with him for several sessions, and he just, under this cloud of darkness, and just felt so bad and all of that, and, you know, what he did wasn't good and all that, but he had repented, and he was trying to move on with his life, and I said to him, I said, after, I think it was our second or third session, I said, I said, the real problem here is, is pride. You're full of pride. Because the cross is good for everybody else, but the cross is not good enough for you. The cross is good for everybody else, but the cross isn't good enough for you. And he said that was the turning point when I confronted him about his pride because it was his pride that who was he was better than everybody else and he didn't need the cross. He wanted to live under the law. He wanted to be the person that lived perfectly. And nobody lives perfectly. 
We all need the cross. There's only one solution for your shame. There's only one solution for my shame. There's only one solution for the shame of people here at Millsboro, the people at Fenwick Island. There's only one solution, and that solution is the cross. And I'm grateful for the cross because Danny Tice has had to come to the Lord and said, Lord, I confess my sin, and I come to you, and I ask you to forgive me, and he's forgiven me of my sin. And the Lord has forgiven you of your sin, and he has, he's just completely cast in the sea of forgetfulness, and he loves you, and he's forgiven you, so it's time to move on. Can you say big? amen it's time to move on there's no value in wallowing in shame there's no value it has no value now conviction conviction is when we're doing something we're progressively doing something wrong we shouldn't do and we're being convicted conviction is when we realize that we are supposed to get on back on track here and that's 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 very valuable and once we get back on track we repent of our sins then conviction uh, dissipates and sometimes what happens is condemnation tries to take over we try to be condemn ourselves because we've said you ever been on the highway and maybe heaven forbid that you're texting or something but you drift off the edge of the road and they got those rough ridges on the on the edge of the road and your car starts doing that how many have ever gotten onto the shoulder a little bit and you felt that see that's what conviction is conviction is is when you get off the road and you start feeling that and the holy spirit begins to convict you and you get back on track get back where you're supposed to be condemnations of the devil condemnation says you're a loser you're no good you're you're just you're just you're just no good and you're just inconsistent and god doesn't love you he's fed up with you he's had enough of you you are absolutely a disappointment of the kingdom of god and he just he just wails on you and you just come under that shame and i'm here to tell you jesus was put on the cross and let's let's just be honest jesus on the cross he was stripped of all of his clothes he was probably naked on the cross he was in a shameful position the romans humiliated him he took our shame and because he took our shame we don't have to walk in that shame ourselves can you say big amen it says there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Say it with me. There, there, there is therefore now no condemnation. Say it with me. No condemnation. No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. For Christmas this year, somebody gave me this, the other serenity prayer. Um, it was beautiful. Just a uh, woman in our church named Teresa. And she gave me this, uh, the other serenity prayer. I may have a picture of it, I'm not sure or not. But here's what the other serenity prayer says. Uh, the other serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to stop beating myself up for not doing things perfectly. Grant me the courage to forgive myself because I'm working to do better. Grant me the wisdom to know that you already love me just the way I am. So that's an incredible prayer. So we're continuing to change the holy spirit's helping us and we're being changed by the holy spirit but when you get off track the holy spirit convicts you and the conviction is to get you back on track not to beat you down and make you feel bad so we need to love ourselves, and that's uh first point so you can't love other people you can't be kind to other people till you're kind to yourself now here's the second person you need to be kind to this year and this is the tricky one you have to be kind to people that are different than you you have to be kind to people that are different than you. And that's an important, important thing because we have a tendency to try to be kind to people that are like us, people that think like we do, and be kind to them. And we're just really nice to people that are just like us, you know, and so we're just okay with that. But people that are, are not like us, we have a hard time with that. So that's an important thing. So we need to make sure that we're nice to people that are different than us. 
people that don't think like us. So it's, no, it's very natural to be kind and like people that like you. People that just are like you and they think like you and they have your philosophy and they have your viewpoint on the world and you can be nice to people like that because they're smart because they're just like you. But people that aren't like you, people that think differently than you are, then we have trouble being nice to those people and we need to kind of think about how can we be nice to those people. So I went to uh, the Ravens game uh, can we have a moment of silence for the Ravens, if we could? <laughs> and all the Ravens fans, I am inviting all of you at the Millsburg campus, the Rehoboth campus, or, and, and the Femic Island campus, if you were Ravens fans, I'm inviting you to come over to the Packer camp today. And we're, gonna, we're taking memberships today, so we'll have you come over for that. So, uh, but uh, my boys took me to the Ravens games on Ravens game in Baltimore, December 12th, and they were playing the New York Jets, and so I'd never been to a pro game before, watched a lot of games on TV, so they took me, and Barry Dukes, our worship leader at the uh, uh, Rehoboth campus, went, and uh, we drove, we had a really good time. So we're walking to the stadium, and I mean, the streets of Baltimore are packed with Ravens fans, and they're like just packed, and they're like, and the, and the tailgate parties are going on, and the music's playing, and it was just really incredible. But there was a few people that that wore their, their New York Jets uh, paraphernalia. They wore their jerseys, and they wore their New York Jets uh, uh, beanies. And I'm telling you, the Ravens fans were on the sidewalk, and they were yelling at them. They were saying terrible things to them. And I can't even tell you the words they were calling these people. And uh, I thought, man, you know, I thought, you know, I had two thoughts about them. I thought these people are incredibly courageous and incredibly stupid. That's what I thought about those people. That they would, they would wear these New York Jets uniforms in Baltimore. And, I mean, these people, were, these Ravens fans were yelling at them. And they were cussing at them. They were saying all these terrible things. And uh, so I kind of stepped away from them. I didn't want to be associated with those people, you know, because I think that's a really dangerous thing to do. But, you know, it's easy for us to love people that are like us and think like us and wear the same jersey we wear. And, and we have trouble being kind to people that are different than us. Now, here's what I think is important, why this is important this year. As we come into an election, this is a big election this year, and we got all this stuff going on in the country, and uh, here's what I'd like to say. I think it's important that we learn and regain civility in our country, that we learn to be nice to people that think differently than we think. doesn't mean that we cave and we're a doormat. We are strong about our convictions, what we believe. But you know, you can be strong in your convictions and still be loving and kind. How many know that that's, that's possible? It's possible. It's not easy, but it's possible. It's very, very important that we do that. So when I look at the fracturing in our nation, what we've really lost is civility. Basically, how to be nice to each other how to be nice to each other. So if you, whatever political party you're part of, let me just say this, those of you in the Femicon campus, those of you at the Millsburg campus, let me just say to you, let's regain civility and let's Christian churches lead the way in showing how to be kind even to people that think differently than we think politically. That's a very, very important thing. We've lost the power of civility in our country. And I just have to say, you know, I love the news like everybody else, but sometimes cable news networks fuel this idea of demonizing anybody that doesn't think like we think. It's important for us to gain civility. Say this to me, I can be nice to people that think differently than I think. It's not a virtue. It's not a virtue, even if you're right. It's not a virtue. 
to be angry and mean and yell at someone that doesn't believe what you believe. Now let me read you a little story, if I can find it, in my iPad here. Great little story. By the way, uh, here's what Chuck Swindoll wrote. This is not the story, but this is something what Chuck Swindoll said. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat and drink what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, and then and only then I'll fellowship with you. So anyhow, that's not, uh, that's not the goal. But here's a great story. I don't know if you know who uh, Stephen Douglas is. Stephen Douglas the great Douglas debates, uh, Lincoln-Douglas debates. How many remember from high school or college the Douglas-Lincoln uh, Douglas debates? You remember that? Uh, incredible. It happened in uh, 1858, a few years before the Civil War. Lincoln and Douglas were arch enemies, were arch enemies. Uh, uh, Lincoln, of course, believed that slaves should not be expanded into any new territories, including Kansas and Nebraska. And all of that, but that really pushed things. And James Buchanan, the president at the time, was the worst president we've ever had in American history. He just, he wasn't going to get, he wasn't going to rock anybody's boat. He wasn't a leader. Uh, but so Lincoln and Douglas had these debates about slavery. And Lincoln didn't believe that slavery should be expanded in any new territories. Stephen Douglas believed in pauper sovereignty, which, mean, he, which meant that uh, the states could decide. And so they had these debates, seven debates in Illinois. They were running for the Senate seat in 1858 against each other. Lincoln lost, but Lincoln became famous because of that. But here's here, I want, you, I want you to listen to what happened at the inauguration of President Lincoln between Stephen Douglas and Abraham Lincoln. Standing before 10,000 eyes is Abraham Lincoln, an uncomfortable Abraham Lincoln. His discomfort comes not from the thought of delivering his inaugural address, his first inaugural address, but from the ambitious efforts, efforts of well-meaning tailors. He's, a, he's not unaccustomed to such attire, formal black dress coat, silk vest, black trousers, and a glossy top hat. He holds a huge ebony cane with a golden head the size of an egg. He approaches the platform with hat in one hand and cane in the other, he doesn't know what to do with either one. In the nervous silence that comes after the applause and before the speech, he searches for a spot to place them. He finally leans the cane in the corner of the railing, but he still doesn't know what to do with the hat. He could lay it on the podium, but it would take too much room. Perhaps the floor, no, too dirty. Just then and not a moment too soon, a man steps forward and takes the hat returns his seat, and listens intently to Lincoln's speech. Who is he? Lincoln's dearest friend, the president said of him. He and I are about the best friends in the world. He was the one of the strongest supporters of the early stages of Lincoln's presidency. He was given the honor of escorting Mrs. Lincoln in the inaugural Grand Ball. As the storm of the Civil War began to boil, many of Lincoln's friends left, but not this one. He amplified his loyalty by touring the South as Lincoln's peace ambassador. He begged Southerners not to succeed and Northerners to rally behind the president. His efforts were great, but the wave of anger was greater. The country did divide, and the Civil War bloodied the nation. Lincoln's friend never lived to see it. He died three months after Lincoln's inauguration. Wearied by his travels, he succumbed to a fever, and Lincoln was left to face the war of loom. Upon hearing the news of his friend's death, Lincoln wept openly and ordered the White House flag to be flown half-staff. Some feel Lincoln's friend would have been chosen as his running mate in 1864 and would thus have become the president following the assassination of the great emancipator. 
No one will ever know about that. But we do know that Lincoln had one true friend, and we can only imagine the number of times the memory of him brought warmth to a cold Oval Office, his model friendship. He was also a model forgiveness. The friend could just as easily have been his enemy. Long before he and Lincoln were allies, they were competitors, competitor politicians pursuing the same office. And unfortunately, their debates are better known than their friendship. The debates between Abraham Lincoln and his dear friend Stephen Douglas. But on Lincoln's finest day, Douglas set aside their differences and held the hat of the president. Douglas heard a higher call. Now that's a wonderful model of civility. And our country needs to embrace civility. And so as we come into this year, this election here at Bayshore, um, I want you to know our church is very diverse in parties and all that, but I'm here to tell you that one of the things that Christians are called to do, Christians are called to be kind to people that are different than them, kind to people that think differently than they think, kind to people that are opposed to them. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King's uh, birthday. We celebrate his birthday tomorrow. Uh, there was a guy named, uh, one of the guys that traveled with with uh, with, with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was a guy named Robert Green, Dr. Robert Green. And he tells a story about when uh, Martin Luther King was in Memphis at one time, not the time he was shot, but another time. He was in Memphis and uh, Robert Green was in the back seat with somebody else and uh, Martin Luther King was in the passenger seat and they were at a gas station. The window was down. And when the window was down, uh, Martin Luther King was sitting there and a, a white gentleman walked over and pulled a gun out and pointed it as, at Martin Luther King's face. And he said, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. And Dr. Robert Green, sitting in the back seat, he said what Martin Luther King did as he looked at that man in the eyes, he says, brother, I love you. Brother, I love you. And Martin Luther King, as he said those words, the gunman looked down at that gun felt extremely awkward, and finally walked away. That spirit that Martin Luther King had in our nation, we need to get that back. And how many know that being civil, being civil, being kind to people that don't agree with you is a sign of Christian maturity. And regardless of what our belief systems are, we need to be kind because being kind is what we're called to do and we're called to be civil in our country. Can you say a big amen? And would you say this with me? Say it with me right now. Lord God... Help me this year to be civil, even with people that I disagree with. Now, I would recommend, uh, Andy Stanley is doing a series right now. I didn't steal this sermon from him. I just happened to listen to it after I've written mine. Andy Stanley's doing a, a series of sermons right now called Talking Points. Uh, if you go to northpoint.com and uh, listen to Andy Stanley's series, he's doing this series called Talking Points, How Christians Should Respond to the Election This Year. And uh, he does a marvelous job. The first message, he just did it last week, is incredible. So listen to Talking Points. It's really, really helpful for you. And uh, Andy's really good. Not as good as me, but he's very good. So I want you to listen to Andy Stanley. So uh, anyhow, uh, last group we're supposed to be nice to. I'm out of time here. Uh, be civil to people that aren't nice to you. I got a bunch of scriptures. I didn't even get to those, but anyhow, there it is. Last people we should be nice to. Be nice to yourself, number one. Love yourself. Number two, be nice to people that are different than you. And number three, be nice to people that are closest to you. Be kind to people that are closest to you.
Have you ever noticed that we're nicer to strangers than we are our own spouse and our own children? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been in a fight, an argument with your wife or your spouse, and you're just like throwing verbal hand grenades, and you're just going to it, and the phone rings, you pick up the phone, hey, how are you doing? (laughs) Have you ever, ever had that happen? You know? Or the doorbell rings, oh, how are you doing? So good to see you. You've just been throwing pillows at each other, you know? The people that are closest to us deserve our greatest self. The people that are greatest to us. You know, sometimes we think we just let our hair down and just be our ugly self to people that are closest to us. But I'm here to tell you that we need to be kind and loving to the people that are closest to us, to our children, to our, uh, to our spouse, and uh, we all struggle with that sometimes, you know. At Karen the other night, I mean, we were ha- I had some cereal out. And, uh, and, you know, Karen and I, we have a wonderful relationship. Have you ever had those moments where you just get a little aggravated? You know, I had the cereal out and I was a little hungry. And I shouldn't have been eating the cereal anyhow. It was mainly sugar, so I had it out there. I'm like, fired up, going to eat this cereal. And Karen reached in there and took a big hand of it. And I just, something came out of me. It's like a, you know, it's like a dog, you know, fighting over the food. Why? <laughs> I said, honey, I'm so sorry. I don't know where that came from. She came from the devil. She said, it's, it's not right. <laughs> but you need to be nice to people that are closest to you. You're nicer to the waiter or the waitress, to the people you don't know, strangers in the yard to your own spouse. Nicer to the people like that that don't even have, you know, you know these foreign relationships, these, these far distant relationships. You're nice. You're formal and nice to these people, but the people that are closest to you, you're not nice to. One of my Bible college professors, wonderful man, uh, he used to pastor this church. His first church he pastored was in this, um, this town that was built around a lake and houses all around the lake. And he was a Baptist pastor and he uh, loved to fish and so he was out there loading up his uh, boat one night with his wife and his wife wasn't doing things right and he was you know, being really you know, unkind, harsh to his wife and, uh, and he, he said he forgot how that water amplifies sound. So his harsh words went all through that neighborhood. And the next night he happened to be out on uh, evangelism, you know, knocking on doors and inviting people to church and he was confronted by what happened and he said that was a turning point in his life. He changed. He was not going to ever talk to his wife like that again. So being kind to people that are closest to you. And I'll close with this. I don't know how many of you remember Dan Marino. Remember Dan Marino? He was the uh, college quarterback, or not the college quarterback. He was the NFL quarterback for the uh, Miami Dolphins. They could use him now. But anyhow, Miami Dolphins. (laughs) How many remember Dan Marino? You're old enough to remember Dan Marino. So Dan Marino became a broadcaster. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time never won a Super Bowl. But what I remember about Dan Marino is Dan Marino used to do these commercials for isotoner gloves. And here's a picture of Dan Marino and isotoner glove commercial. Now, he did these commercials every Christmas, and uh, he got isotoner gloves for the people that were his linemen. And the tagline of his commercial was, take care of the people that take care of you. Take care of the people that take care of you. When he wasn't a quarterback anymore, he still did isotoner commercials. And then he switched it to his family. And he said, take care of the people that take care of you. So you should be, and I should be kind to the people that are closest to us. My wife, Karen, and my kids, and my grandkids, and my family members, they deserve my very best me. I want to be kind this year. Not, hey, let my hair down, just be my ugly self around them. That's not a virtue. 
You want to be your ugly self to your therapist, but be your best self to the people that are closest to you. So those of you at the Fenwick Island campus and everybody here at this campus, uh, we're going to all raise our hands together. Let's all raise our hands right now. And let's ask the Lord to fill us with the spirit of kindness this year. Spirit of kindness. Lord, help us to be kind this year. Help us to be loving this year. Lord, we want to have a great year. And your word says, you said in your word, those that are kind benefit themselves. So this year we want to have our best year ever. And we know as we are kind to others, we're going to have our best year ever. And so, God, we can still be strong. We can still be uh, clear about what we believe. But we can even be kind and loving to people that disagree with us. Give us the Holy Spirit to help us to do that. Holy Spirit, fill us with the ability to do that this year. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody at the Millsburg campus, everybody at the Fenway Island campus, just say a big amen right now. Say amen. Amen. Amen.